Welcome everyone to the first official episode of the JW Podcast, The Black and Bougie Experience. Again, that is the JW Podcast, um, The Black and Bougie Experience. Um, this can be found on Spotify, Apple, all your all your podcast platforms. Um, please go check it out. Please subscribe, download, whatever it is that they do. Um, the podcast, find me. It is the Black and Bougie Experience. Um, I am extremely, extremely excited. Um, I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but I am extremely excited. Um, and I never thought that this would be something that I'd be excited about. Um, but for years, people have been saying, you should write a book or you should, you know, do interviews, or do some vlogging or do this or do that. And um, I was like, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. And, um, you know, during this time of COVID, it's been a really, really deep time of reflection for me. I mean, it's not necessarily been just about COVID, but during these months, there's been some serious, serious things that have happened um, within our country, within my life um, that I just, that were like, it, my head was about to explode. And it's almost like I got to get it out. I got to get it out. And um, I always call myself, I'm a, I'm an introvert, introvert, extrovert. Um, I do love to share, but I love to share on my own time. So, you know, sometimes, you know, I think it could be the only child syndrome that, you know, just sometimes I want to talk and sometimes I don't. And I think that, you know, recording these will be the time that I talk and I'm able to get it out and, and, and hopefully in, in sharing me and being able to, to have guests and, and, and share their stories and, and talk about the black experience, um, talk about my life. Um, I think that's going to help me, um, to be a better person. And, and hopefully by listening, it'll, you'll be able to discover some things about yourself. Um, and you can become better too. Now this first episode, um, which I've titled me, um, is really going to be about me and who I am. Um, because I think that's important um, to share who it is that you're listening to first, who it is that's that's putting this out and streaming it for the world before we get into other things about other people and and things in life. You have to know and, and, and build that connection with the person that is um, broadcasting um, the podcast. And so this is what this is going to be about. It's going to be about me. It's literally me sitting here with a cigar and, um, and just sharing. And, um, so who am I? You know, I am a, I am, I'm a Muslim. I'm a husband. I'm a son. I'm a father. I'm a friend. Um, I'm a leader. I'm a learner. And sometimes I'm an enemy. And I, I, there's a lot of parts to me and, and I want to be able to share all of those things, um, through these recordings. So let's, let's start with me. Um, I was born in Atlanta, Georgia, South Fulton hospital and, um, but raised in college park, Georgia, um, a suburb of Atlanta, um, where the airport is located. And um, I was an only child. 
born by an amazing, 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 amazing mother. Um, she she raised me. I was a single father. I mean, she's a single uh, mother. And uh, my grandmother and my uh, they raised me in a town called Pool Creek. And Pool Creek, um, which I didn't know it at the time, um, was was a hood. Um, you learn later on. It's so funny because you know when you're when you're growing up, you're just growing up. You have no idea if you're poor, if you're rich, if you're middle class. Um, you, you have no idea. You just know that you know you're here. You're growing up, and um, sometimes you know your parents or the people that raise you, they shelter you from a lot of the things um, that could harm you. And some people could think of look at that and say that's good or that's bad. And um, they did the best that they could, you know. Um, and although, you know, my mother was what they called a, a single mother, um, she didn't singularly raise me. Um, I was raised by a collective of people, uncles, aunts, cousins, um, church at the time, because um, I grew up Christian. And uh, all of these people, you know, they help plant seeds in me. And sometimes I took the seeds and I threw them out and they put them back in. And sometimes they take the seeds again and throw them out. And sometimes they didn't return. Um, but I had a lot of people that um, invested a lot um, into me. And, um, you know, Pool Creek was a very, very interesting place. Um, you know, at that time when I was growing up there, it was... Um, I guess the the drug epidemic was uh, was hot and heavy. I was born in '76, um, 43 years old, and um, it was interesting because I didn't I didn't know. I mean, I knew that you know we had neighbors that you know their sons or daughters were there, and then one moment they weren't. One one minute they were outside cutting the grass or laughing and joking with the families, and the next next I know you wouldn't see them for a while, and then they're coming back and they're getting a getting a plate of food. And, um, you know, I learned later on that, you know, oh, okay, that person was on drugs. And it was something that was just, it, it became so normal. It was like, oh, yep, this person's on heroin now, or, you know, this person's on crack. Crack came a little bit later on, hot and heavy, but, you know, there was heroin and, um, and it was a lot of, a lot of weed. And, you know, it was interesting because I grew up with it all around me but I never delved into it. And I think that was because of the community that I had raising me. You know, my my aunts lived down the street. My, my um, grandmother's sister, she lived with us. And it was just a lot of love in the house, a lot of love in the house. And I'll tell you this funny story. Um, my grandmother, she always had this open, kind of like an open door. The minister would come by and get a plate. Um, other family members would come by and get a plate because she was the cook. She could like really what we call it in the South was she could put her foot in it, man. Like she put her foot all the way in it. Like her food was the truth. And um, she made pies and you know, people come and get a pie, blackberry cobbler, peach cobbler, um, sweet potato pies, you name it. She was making it peach. She made these peach pies, which I later found out. They also sold these peach pies at Chick-fil-A. Um, I believe it was her recipe um, because, boy, it was it was something serious. Like 
you didn't want a peach pie from from Chick-fil-A um, after you had one of my my grandmother's pies. Um, but she had this friend that came over and she was always there. She'd come over, she'd cook. They'd be like cleaning collard greens in the kitchen and cleaning chitlins when we ate pork. God knows, thank God. I'm delighted I was delivered from that, from pork. Um, but you know, she had diabetes and back then it was called sugar. I don't even think I remember hearing the word diabetes until later in life. It was just, you know, yep, yep, that's Miss Chrissy and she got sugar. And this woman was with us and I saw the transformation. She went from losing one leg to the other leg to her arm and then she died. And we had like a two bedroom and like, I think it was two bedrooms. Um, Mom, don't kill me if I don't remember how many bedrooms, but I believe when Miss Chrissy would come with stay, she would actually stay in one of the beds because my mom and I slept in one room. She was had one bed, I had the other bed, and um, I think it was three bedrooms, now that I think about it. But Miss Chrissy was staying in the bed, and then we had the, the window cracked, and, you know, because we didn't have AC. And Miss Chrissy was there, and she had a hammer by the bed. And, you know, the neighborhood was getting a little bit bad, and, you know, Miss Chrissy was like, man, I don't care. You know, let somebody come through this window. I got this hammer. And I'm not talking about a gun. She had a legit hammer for nailing, you know, nailing nails. And this guy, he tried to break into a house. And he was the son of, like, one of the neighbors down the street. And I was knocked out the entire time. So I'm I'm, I'm giving you this story by memory um, from what people told me. And she hit, she hit him on the hand with the hammer when he was trying to come through the window. I woke up. Um, I kind of had on like the onesie pajamas with the with the uh, the zipper going up the front, and I just remember coming out. The police were there, and I'm, I was knocked out, and everything was happening. You had people in the neighborhood looking for him, and because it was a community, so they were like, "Oh no, you're not gonna mess with Miss Mott House." You know, that was my grandmother. Her name was Martha, but they called her Mott, and they were looking for him. And that was when we realized it was time to go. Um, and so. My grandmother, she was like the real life help movie. You know, she first started out, she was cleaning in hospitals and then she um, she cleaned homes for, uh, for white people. And she cleaned for a very, very long time for this one family. And I say they took care of her, but you know, they, yeah, they took care of her. Like she was paid for, you know, they, they paid her a decent wage. Um, and she was able to buy us a house and she bought us a house in College Park. And um, in College Park, it was all white people. And we bought the house from this black lady. Her name was Miss Betty. And I remember seeing the transition where white people started moving out and then black people started moving in. And man, it was awesome. And I'm not saying that's why it was awesome. It was just awesome. Like my friends, I had I, I had new friends, and the school was like two blocks down the street. I could walk to the school. I come home every day, and then it was like a home cooked meal. As soon as I came home from school, my grandmother was cooking for me, and it, she truly is the person that kind of helped build me up along with my mother into the person that I am today. And I never forget. Um, she she died in um, '89. Um, she died on Valentine's Day. And I'll talk about that later on down the road where 
Valentine was never a great day for me um, because of the day that my, my grandmother died. So I didn't equate love with with that day. But that's that's for a whole nother episode. And um, she died. And, um, you know, my mother was there and um, my mother was actually getting married at the time. And it was just a it was a time of um, transformation. But I still had a community of people that um, that helped raise me. Fast forward, go through. Um, well, before I fast forward, I was an awkwardly ugly kid. I had glasses, I think, since I was like a newborn. I'm joking, but I had glasses for a very, very long time. And I was just, I was ugly, man. I, I, can't, I can't even front. I was an ugly kid. And I'll never forget, um, I had this Jerry girl. And... <laughs> I was it. I was in elementary school, and first I think it took hours for me to get the Jared girl. And I went to school, and this girl, she said, "Hey, girl, pick, can you can you pick that up? I just dropped it off the floor." And she legit thought I was a girl. And I went home and I started crying. My mom, I'm like, "Cut this out of my hair! I don't want a Jared girl anymore." And then I cut it off, and then I had a, and then I had a a, a low even Steven for a very 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 long time. And, um, man, those are some crazy times. But so, you know, um, we moved to College Park. And after she died, it was a a time of transition. And like I said, I grew up, went to Banneker High School. And I'll never forget, I think it was my 10th grade year. And I was always fresh. Like, my, I was clean. Like, my clothes were fresh. My mother, if we were poor, I had no idea. Because my mother made sure I had the latest Jordans. I had whatever was out at the time. I had multiples. Whether it was Cross Colors. Whether it was Carl Kanai. Whether it was Polo. Um, I was in it. And um, I remember in the 10th grade. And 9th grade, I had the glasses. Middle school, I had the glasses. In 10th grade, I came to school and I had no glasses on. I had contact lenses, had a a fade, and I never forget I'm standing up on the wall and people were looking at me like, who is this? And I guess I looked a little bit better. And of course, I was fresh. And um, that was when uh, that was another transition in my life. I'm like, okay, I'm feeling myself a little bit. Um, I mean, I was never like the super, super cool kid, but, you know, I was. I was dope in my own way. Um, and so then I went through high school and then, then that's when it was like the transition. What do you do? You go to school. Um, what is it? And I never forget. I had this opportunity to work for Coca-Cola and in Atlanta, Coca-Cola was like the epitome of, of, of what you should get to Coca-Cola and Delta. Like if you could work for those two things, you were popping. And so, you know, I had an opportunity to go and get a refrigeration um, internship. And I would have been the guy going around and fixing vending machines, et cetera. And it would have been a union job, I guess. And it would have been like dope, I guess, for people back then. I was like, this is not, man, this is not what I want to do. I want to ride around in a truck with a, you know, gray uniform on and doing Coca-Cola. I wasn't faulting anybody for doing it, but it was just something that I didn't want to do. And so I actually, I wanted to be a doctor. And um, I was going to school and um, went on a long story short, went on a field trip to a VA hospital 
they started pulling out organs. I hit the ground. I was like, this isn't for me. So I had a part-time job um, working at a hotel. And then I started from there and I went to the top and, you know, um, became a general manager um, after years um, in the hotel business. And um, during that time, you know, I got married. Um, I had three kids, um, which those three are now uh, 23, 20, going on 21, and 19, going on 20. Um, I have five now, so don't fault me for like just not knowing ages. Um, it just, it's not gonna happen unless I look at my phone. And so, you know, went through that, went through the struggles of first time being married, married, um, you know, I don't really want to talk about that yet. That'll be a whole nother story. Um, married, divorced, um, and went through the struggles of that. And, um, went through a lot of other struggles. There's a lot of, in my life, there'll be a lot of episodes that, you know, you can, you can turn back to, and then you can listen to this one and you'll be able to tie the pieces. Um, and then I got married a second time and to my wife now, Shahina, um, she's from Lebanon and she's, um, Lebanese, but she's also, um, she has Sierra Leone. She has, um, uh, Ethiopian, um, but she is 100% Lebanese in, in, in her mind. She loves her country. And I have two wonderful kids with her as well, um, a 10-year-old and a 9-year-old. And so, you know, through all of this, um, there's many, many journeys that happened, you know, along the way. Um, yeah, get deep for a moment, you know. There was a time where I was having a struggle within my life and... Um, I attempted um, suicide, and obviously, because I'm here with you now, I was unsuccessful. Um, had 183 stitches um, in my arm, and that'll be for another later episode as well. Um, I went through a cancer battle, stage four cancer, testicular cancer, started in my testicle, went up to my liver, lungs, my lymph nodes and my abdomen. And uh, that was a tough time, you know, almost died. Um, a lot happened during that time. And it's, it's interesting as I now I think, and I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about it. I probably wouldn't be the person that I am today if I didn't go through that, that battle. And, you know, and, and one of the things that, you know, my wife said, cause she always said, you're not gonna die. You're not gonna die. You're not gonna die. Even though it was it was rocky road, you know it was definitely rocky road. I had um, two stem cell transplants, high dose team chemotherapy, had a resection where they took out a small portion of my liver. Um, they took away the cancerous lymph nodes that were in my abdomen. Um, they removed um, one of my testicles as well. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot that was um, that happened to me during that time, and one of the things that she taught me was whatever you've done bad in your life, um, this is God giving you the opportunity um, to wash away, you know, a lot of your, your bad deeds. And boy, I'm telling you, when you're going through it, that is not something that you want to hear. I was probably the most negative person 
that you could think of during that time. I don't want to hear that. I'm just going to die. I want to die. Whatever. Let me die. The, the chemo was just like torturing me. Um, I lost a lot of weight. Um, I was just kind of withering away and I just didn't want to hear. And I had a person in my wife that said to me, no, you're going to make it. I don't believe that you're going to die. And alhamdulillah, you know, I'm here. And um, there was a lot of people that were praying for me um, to get through that, get through that battle. And through it all, I was still able to to be successful, um, to have a successful career, um, to have some good kids, to have a good quality of life, and throw a little bit of bougie in there. And it, it's, it's interesting now as I sit here and I talk about it, and I don't think I've ever talked about it alone. And even though I'm not alone because you're all here listening, but I've never really talked about it alone. And even now it's, it's doing something and it's transforming something within me um, to just say it out loud and to say what you've actually been through. Um, and God is great because I'm here. Um, but it's interesting, even during that time, I still had, I still kind of kept my swag. I've always been a person that, you know, has um, loved fashion, loved nice things, loved um, a nice quality of life. Um, and, I, and I kept that during it all. And, and I thank God for being able to give me something um, to, to, to hold on to um, through all of that. You know, not just the family and the friends and everything else, but I kept my swag. And well, I, I think I still kept my swag. You have to ask my wife and the people around me if I, if I still got it. I think I do. Um, and so that's why that's why I'm here. Um, it's a collection of things, unfortunate events, fortunate events um, that bring us to where we are today. And this is why I'm doing what I'm doing right now. And it's interesting because, you know, through all of those things, um, I can still sit here and say I'm proud and I'm black and I'm bougie. Now, we talked about what is black and black and bougie. We talked about an upwardly more mobile people. I talked about that on um, it's called pre one and the definition. And, you know, black is, is it's a big word. It's a really, really big word. Um, it's a culture. And for people here in this country that are black um first of all i'm obviously the word black probably started out by those dark people are not white so they're black and one of the things that we do as a culture we take negatives and we turn them into positives and um so black became uh, a term of power it was an empowerment term so now yes i'm black and i'm proud of that and for me you know i'm, I'm on the darker the darker hue um, I don't think I ever really knew that I was dark, darker than other people. You know, growing up in Atlanta, which was kind of called the black Mecca, um, where my elementary school was black, my middle school was black, my high school was black. Everything was around me black. So I saw black judges, I saw black lawyers, I saw black police officers, teachers, poets, musicians, politicians, 
every, everything was black. And it helped build up this confidence within me. And when I got my first job and I moved outside of Atlanta, and I moved to Marco Island, Florida, in my mind, I didn't know that I was different from the rest of the country because Atlanta was so black. So when I went to Marco Island, uh, Florida, and I was literally like the only black person on the island. And I, I'll never forget, I was looking for somewhere to get a haircut. And I'm like, you know, I can't go with the guy that's going to have some scissors. Um, that's not going to work. And then so I stepped off the island into a place called Naples and I saw this shop. And I was like, yes, there's, some, there's black people in there. And they were Haitian. And um, I got a haircut. It was a little bit different, but I, but I got a haircut. But then I realized, and that started to shape me. And I started to understand, okay, your world is not really one dimensional. Now you don't lose yourself because it's not one dimensional, but it's not just all black. You've got to be able to, to live and integrate and deal with other people in, in, in society. But you also don't have to lose your pride in who you are. So for the longest time, I don't think I would have actually recorded something and said, I'm black and I'm bougie. Because you're, you're kind of taught outside of Atlanta, or maybe or outside of D.C. or Chicago, um, that, you know, you got to be kind of neutral. You know, you can't be too black, whatever that means. And to me, being black is being black and bougie. You've got a swag about yourself and you're empowered with that swag. Um, now you have to keep it in check because you can't be so overconfident that it goes into the cocky um, realm. Um, it's okay to be charismatic, but you can't be cocky with it um, and overconfident because then it turns into narcissism. Um, but I was proud to be black, but I don't, you know, again, working in a very neutral world, you just kind of keep yourself neutral. And I said to myself, oh, man, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not, it's not, I am who I am. You like me, you love me, you hate me. This is who I am. And that is why the black and bougie experience is so important. You know, some of the things that we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about fashion. We're going to talk about cars. We're going to talk about politics. Um, we're going to talk about um, all things that engulf the black culture. And you can't talk about all things that engulf the black culture if you don't talk about other cultures with it. Because we're not living in a silo. We're not alone. So other things have to be incorporated into that. So we'll touch on that. But a little bit more about me. So, you know, I am now currently a general manager at a, at a luxury hotel. Um, during the time of COVID, I actually opened my own um, general contractor and construction company. Um, and I started this podcast. And... I make a pretty good living um, as a general manager. And, you know, some would say, well, why are you, why are you doing all this other stuff? And I'll never forget there was a episode, I watched The Breakfast Club. Shout out to Charlemagne, Angela Lee, and DJ Envy. And they were doing this episode and it had Dame Dash on it. And he asked a question. He said, can your son come here if he wants to and work in this radio station? And the answer was no, he cannot because your name's not on it. 
that you can give him a recommendation and he can go through the interview process and and you know if they don't have some type of family laws in hr um maybe your son can work there but can he just come in and say i'm working here today no he can't so that's why i I started the company that's why i'm doing this podcast because i want something that my kids can have of their own with their own name on it um so they can embrace it as their own now my son yeah i think he's going to be a lawyer um one of my older my older daughter i think she's also going to be a lawyer um my younger daughter we want to push her into being a a doctor i think she's going to be a veterinarian because she loves pets i have a son that's in music um so yeah you know they're all they're all doing their thing but at the end of the day i'm creating something that they can have and call their own and it could be a part of their own empire so that's part of why i'm doing this as well so get ready for this thing that's called the black and bougie experience um i'm excited to share more of who i am i'm excited to share more about my experiences um i make sure i'm I'm excited to hear about some of your experiences um like i said you'll be able to reach us on all the streaming platforms um i actually have a instagram that's dedicated to this page now as well um, it is called the the Black and Bougie Podcast. So you can go and find that on Instagram and you can direct message. You can ask questions, um, things that you want want us to talk about, um, things that you don't like. I got thick skin. I brought up in Atlanta. You got to have thick skin if you're from there. Um, and you just share. Um, so I look forward to speaking to you more. Um, I look forward um, to engaging in more conversations that are meaningful meaningful for you. Um, So get ready for all things JW Podcast, the Black and Bougie Experience. Be well.